Welcome to Real Personal Finance. I'm your host, Scott Frank, CFP, CFA charter holder, and founder of Stone Steps Financial. And I'm your host, James Canole, CFP, MBA, and owner of Root Financial Partners. The premise of our show is simple. Money can be confusing, but it doesn't have to be. Our goal is to answer real personal financial questions that we hear from our clients and our listeners. Each episode, we answer one personal financial question in a clear and understandable way. Because money is a tool. And when you understand the language of money, you can make better decisions to improve your financial life. Hey, James. Hey, Scott. Welcome back to another week. Thank you. Fired up to be here. Yeah, man. Excited to be here too. Get to answer another listener question. Yeah. And you know, this question we're going to dive into, but I wish there was more context around the total financial picture of this client. Context helps. Listener. (laughs) Context helps. And I think you have a way of fixing that. I do. If you're a listener who wants to have us answer a question, please write in at realpersonalfinance.co, hit submit a question. We're going to ask you to, for some financial data. So we'll have more context to help you than perhaps the data that you might think to send in. You know, if we have a few key metrics, it's kind of like getting the blood panel done at the doctor's office. We can quickly know what we need to worry about and what we don't need to worry about. And it'll help add context to answer questions appropriately. So please submit a question at realpersonalfinance.co and just say like, I want to have the review and we'll uh, get you linked up. Yeah. The reason we're doing this is when there's shallow context. And by the way, no fault of the listeners. They, they thank you for submitting your no. questions. We really appreciate that. Scott and I were just talking with it. We want to be able to go deeper. And instead of just saying, well, it depends on this, it depends on that, it depends on this other thing. Well, upload some information. Full privacy will never disclose anything. It's just the more context we have around your question, the deeper and more specific we can be with some of that guidance as we'll even start to see on some of today's question. So keep some your questions. If you don't want to do that, no problem. Keep, keep them coming. We'll keep responding. But for those of you that are saying, here's my question and a little bit more context, we're just excited to be able to offer more value and hopefully even more engaging episodes as we go through this. Yes. And we still are going to try to make all of America financially literate. So please, 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 if you like listening to our episodes and they're helpful for you, please leave a five-star review wherever you listen to episodes so that more people can find us and we can help them. You can help them share this show with friends, forward this episode, forward other yes. episodes. We always appreciate it. And let's jump into the question for today. Let's do it. What do we have? This comes from Danielle. Danielle says, hi, I love your show and appreciate your common sense approach to finances. My son will be going to college next year. We have a 529 plan that will cover about two years worth of school. We believe our children should have some skin in the game. So my son will take out federal loans of about $5,500 to $7,500 per year. Our original plan was to use the 529 plan to pay for the first two years of college, giving us some time to save and cash flow for the second two years. However, with the markets down, we are wondering if it makes sense to change our plan to give the 529 plan some time to recover. It's down about 10 to 15%, even though we had invested in an age-based portfolio, which we thought would protect it from market fluctuations as my son approached college. Should we change our strategy? We can use some cash flow for the first two years, but we would also need to take out some loans, probably about $20,000 per year. Alternatively, we could use one-fourth of the 529 plan per year, cash flow some, and take smaller loans. Wondering if you could offer some guidance in using 529 plans in a down market. Thank you. Yeah. Good question. 
Thank you, Danielle. Yeah, we can certainly provide some guidance on that. Where would yeah. you start, Scott? Well, first things first, I think I just want to say I'm sorry because the portfolio went down. And that's actually not really that normal for it to be down like it is. So it's a, from what I heard, and, and we obviously don't know the exact allocation of this exact plan, but it sounds like we have a college senior in an age-based plan who's about to head off to school. And normally in those type of allocations, you're going to have much more funds invested in the bond market than in the stock market. Yeah. But what happened during this, uh, the first part of this year, interest rates were so low, the amount of money we were going to get on our bonds, that when interest rates shot up, bond prices actually fell a lot. In fact, uh, going into the first couple quarters, it was the biggest down movement of bonds since like the 70s. Yeah. So it's not normal. And I'm sorry that that happened to you, first of all. Yeah, it's been it's been a challenging first. We're recording this in August 2022. Challenging first yeah. eight months, especially especially like those first six months of the year uh, before we had a little bit of recovery in the stock market. But the hard part about investing is you go based upon history a lot of the times, which is the only thing we really have. And historically, Vanguard actually, well, Vanguard put out a study historically looking just to see what percentage of the time are both stocks and bonds negative. Yeah, uh, in the same period, in over one month time periods, only about fifteen percent of the time are both stocks and bonds negative. Yeah, over six months, only three point six percent of the time. This is going back to nineteen seventy six. Are both stocks and bonds negative? And over a one year time period, only 04 percent of the time are both stocks and bonds negative. And it's looking like this year, unless something drastic changes in the you know next four months, which always could happen, this might be another one of those one in 200 type instances, you know, 0.4% yep. of the time. So as someone that's saving for retirement or saving for college or saving for anything, it's been tough because the thing that doesn't usually happen of both stocks and bonds going down has happened, which is leaving people like Danielle saying, oh my goodness, what do we do in light of the fact of what our 529 plan has done? Totally. Yeah. yeah. Put that so succinctly. Well, thank you. But this is about Danielle, not about me. Analyst. It's not about you. It's not about you. Well, let's sadly that did happen that this is where we are. We're in this rare moment and it's affecting this planning for Danielle and her family. So I think the crux of the question is like, what do we do? Like, do we, do we keep, keep the money invested to let it come back? Do we, or do we use it now? Is really yeah. the, the underlying, the main question here. I don't know about you, James, but I mean, I kind of start with like, let's start by chatting about how risky do we want to be? Yeah. You yeah. That's what a good do you mean place by to that? start? I love that place to start. What do you mean by how risky do we want to be? What, what does that mean to someone looking at their 529 plan allocation? Yeah. So what I mean by that, well, first of all, you know, the, the age-based allocations that it sounds like they're in, those are designed to, to become safer as you, or by safer reduce expected return and hopefully reduce what could be the drawdown on the portfolio as you get closer to college years. So the current asset allocation, as I mentioned before, I'm guessing is more bonds than stocks. And the question is, if we want to, if we want to be, do how risky do we want to be is like saying, well, you know, is this like a break-even itis moment where we go, okay, we lost 
10 to 15%. So maybe I'm just going to pretend it's 10% right now. I want that 10% to come back before I use it. In order to do that, you're probably going to have to shift out of some bonds and increase to stocks, which makes it a riskier proposition every year that your child's at school. Yeah. Danielle made the point. She said, you know, I didn't think that these type of age-based funds were supposed to go down. And as you're mentioning, typically those age-based funds, it's a mix of stocks and bonds. Last week, we talked about stocks and bonds, kind of the differences a little bit, but those stocks and bonds, the more you have in stocks, the more you're going to grow, the more you have in bonds, the more stable it's going to be traditionally. Yes. This year, though, both stocks and bonds have gone down. And so this year it's been difficult because it's like, oh my gosh, this is supposed to be pretty stable and it hasn't been. So what do we do? Do we ride this allocation out? Or like Scott's saying, do we get, do we change the allocation? I think the first thing that I would even start with is, is yes, in the light of how risky or how much growth or protection do we want to seek, understand the real time horizon. And so first yeah. of all, she says next year. Does that mean this coming year or does that mean a year from now? Yeah. And, then, and we don't, we don't know that. That's so true. Is it, is it August of, is it basically the school year starting right yeah, now today? Or is it one year, one year from now? Exactly. Right. Yeah. And then even with that, there's still a four year time horizon of spending those assets. So it's not like yes. everything needs to be spent today. Part maybe does and then part drawn out. And the reason we're asking that question, Scott, is because there's just, we like to look at what range of outcomes could we expect? Absolutely. And James and I are like, we both know that the, this is a really hard answer to come up with because it's going to depend on how risky you want to be, what your, where your cash flow can come from, what are the other sources you can utilize if this doesn't go your way, and how much risk do you want to take, right? Those, yeah. are, those are the biggest things. But at, at the end of the day, the shorter the time frame the more you're putting, you probabilities can be out of your favor, mm-hmm. right? The the longer the time frame, if we have a twenty year time frame, it's like, well, let's go put one hundred percent in the stock market; it'll be fine. Could be an answer, right? And and that would more and history would say that nine, you know, one hundred percent of the time thus far, that's worked out in your favor. But we're in the short time frame now, where we have to be really, really mindful about what to do. Yeah, exactly. So understanding what do you do? Do you stay in the current allocation? Do you get more aggressive? Do you get more conservative? They're all options. And again, this is something we can't provide specific advice on, but it seems like this downturn has had, I would guess, even an emotional impact, not just a financial one. That's something stressful to have to deal with leading up to college and trying to figure out, geez, how are we going to pay for this big, expensive thing called college? Knowing that, I would be hesitant to say, do you get more aggressive? Do you try to rebalance at the bottom? Do you seek more growth? But it all comes down to personal preference. Whereas it if does. you waited out, you know, we've talked before, Scott, we've said that we've used the example. We said, here's multiple investments. One goes up in value 52% of the time. The other extreme goes up in value 100% of the time. Which do you want? And it's just kind of our way of reframing. Hey, these are all the same investment. It's all the S&P 500. The difference is the time frame. One is you yep. holding it for a single day. One is you holding it for 20 years. And yep. as we're looking at that, what it illustrates is the longer you have, the longer your time horizon, the more and more that probability of success is going to be in your favor. But that's an all-stock portfolio. That same thing applies to say you have a 50-50 portfolio, 50% mm-hmm. stocks, 50% bonds, 
or 20% stocks, 80% bonds. And as you start to shift more from stocks and more into bonds, and it's still a diversified portfolio, it's compressing the long-term returns that you can expect, but it's also shortening that gap of the quote-unquote worst-case scenario still being positive. You know, if you look yeah. at like a 2080 portfolio, 20% stocks, 80% bonds over the last 50 years, there hasn't been a three-year time period where if it's the stocks are diversified and the bonds are diversified, there hasn't been a three-year time period where it hasn't made money. So it's kind of comes down to how do you, what's your mix and kind of do you see it out or do you adjust the mix in light of what's happening? This is more of a conversation than, than of course, feedback because there's a lot of feedback or a lot of variables that would go into understanding what to do best there. Agreed. But I, I kind of, you know, well, we can't give advice, obviously, because we don't know the details. Just the, I think you and I both would agree, as you'd already said, like getting, be trying to be more aggressive to make up for the loss probably doesn't make sense when you have such a short time frame. Yeah. I think we're on the same page there. You know, the other thing that I would want to know, because we mentioned, there's a mention of, of getting loans in the first place. And do I use loans now to let the money come back? I would just want to know, well, what, what's the interest rate of the loan going to be? Yeah. Right. So I just, we briefly looked up Parent PLUS loans, which is a loan that parents can get to help pay for school, is currently at 7.54%. If that's the interest rate, I don't know that I'd be, I don't know that I'd be really confident that my rate of return for a, a portfolio that, as you just mentioned, is probably more bonds than stocks is going to get a return of 7.54% over the next couple of years. That's exactly right. Let's say you knew for certain this portfolio was going to return 5% over the next year. Well, some people might say, oh, great. Well, I'll take out a loan and let that recover. Well, by taking out that loan, if you start accruing interest, Scott, 7.5%, I think is what you said, the parent plus loan is right yeah. now, and you're only gaining 5%, you're losing 2.5% per year to what otherwise would have been just take the loss today, pay for college, but don't take on that much of a loan. So really there's a hurdle that you have to exceed if you're going to take a loan to allow more time for your assets to recover there. Yeah, exactly. Now, you know, and we don't know family details here, but like some families will do loans amongst family members for college planning too, right? Maybe you have a grandparent or someone who wants to loan money to mom and dad to help cover college costs. And then you can use what's called the applicable federal rate, AFR. You can always go look it up online. The IRS tells you what rate you're allowed to use. This basically means like, hey, you're my really good friend and I want to loan you money. But, you know, I'm putting quotes up in my, in my fingers right now because sometimes people will try to do that. Well, they're really trying to skirt estate planning laws. Well, the AFR rate, the applicable federal rate basically says, hey, if you're going to loan money to someone else, you must loan at this rate or higher, right? And right now for a long-term loan between family members, that'd be 3.35%. Yeah. Now, if you can get- And you don't have to, but it becomes a gift if you don't. If you, if don't. you don't, correct. Thank you for the clarification. If you can loan at that rate, well then, you know, this could, if you get the 5% versus the 3.35%, eh, start, start making it maybe hemming and hawing a little bit about what should you do here. Yeah, yeah, just the different things are rearranged things. Now, going back to the very beginning before we even discuss this question, there's other considerations here that have nothing to do with timing of 529 plan versus loan that would really potentially be very effective when determining what to do in this specific situation because 
there are a lot of things that you could potentially do as we'll see, but we don't, we just don't know that about Danielle's specific situation. So what are some other things that we'd want to know just as an example of other things that could tie into a planning point like this? Things that I want to know straight away, or I just want to know how Danielle and if, if Danielle has a spouse, how are they doing themselves financially? Are they on track to be, you know, set for making work optional, you know, retirement, the main goals that they have for themselves before I start looking at what's the solution for college here? And reason being that, you know, you can, you can take a loan for college. It's true, but you can't take a loan for retirement. So we definitely want to make sure that we're not putting ourselves in a detrimental position. I'm guessing we're not because, you know, just understanding the, the, the question, it sounds like it'd be a maximum of two years of $20,000 loans if I've read it correctly. So it's like buying another car basically in today's day and age. So probably okay, but still just want to know, like, because if you're overfunded for retirement right now, for instance, you could potentially choose to reduce your contributions to 401ks right now to create more cash flow to help pay for college rather than taking out a loan at a 7.54% interest rate. So it's just, that's where my head goes right away. What else are you thinking about? I, I think that's the first one, you know, long-term, if you're way overfunded for retirement, like you said, hey, stop doing 401k stuff, redirect that cash flow to college. Yeah. If you're way underfunded, that we might even have some pushback of, can you afford to incur these loans on top of, it's just an additional hurdle to get over as you now go to retirement. But cash flow in, in general, you know, what, where's money going today? A lot of people say they have a mortgage they're paying down their mortgage faster, for example. Well, if you've got an extra thousand bucks or 1500 bucks going towards your mortgage, for example, do you temporarily stop doing that and redirect that? And that becomes how you pay for college. Obviously I'm making up an example here, but this is an example of how context really of the big picture allows you to see some specific tactical things more clearly that could work really well. Are there things that don't have to be spent today or could be redirected or shifted around or just manage more effectively, those are areas that you could bring into play when it comes to college planning. Completely agree. And sometimes we forget about these things, right? We've, we've kind of said it and forget it. We've been doing it for so long. It's just life as it is. Cash flow is cash flow. Money goes where money goes. I don't have any extra. And then we go take a look and we go, oh, yeah, I am directing that extra payment to my two and a half percent 30 year mortgage. I can turn that off for a while. Or, oh, you know, we don't actually go to the country club very much anymore or the gym membership anymore as a family. So we don't need to spend the few hundred dollars a month that we were spending there that can be directed to college funding now. Yeah. It's, or it's hey, my son that's going to college, I've been, I don't know, paying for travel, baseball and all these things. And oh, by the way, that's going to go away when he goes to college and that can be redirected. So there's just little things exactly. that, or big things that come up when you start to pay attention to that. Couldn't agree more. The other thing that I think of is I just want to, yeah, to kind of understand the balance sheet as a whole. We did an episode on this the other day, but you know, for mom and dad, where are you financially? And is everything optimized? And of all the things that are optimized, is there anything available given that retirement's on pace and all those things? Can we utilize any of these assets to help cover this cost or do we need to take out a loan? Yeah, exactly. So whether it's how does your retirement look? What does your cash flow look like? Is there extra that you're allocating to other places that you can pull back on? What does your balance sheet look like? Are there other areas that you can pull funds from, rearrange things? 
what about grants and scholarships? You know, I'm, I'm guessing that's something that's been looked at, but are there opportunities to have some of that, some of those needs met through grants, through scholarships, through other other programs like that, through becoming a residential advisor, through be, like there's just things that you can do even on the program at the school to reduce some of these costs. And not saying that you have to do this, but it's good to know all the different options yep. that you can make the most informed decisions. Totally agree. And again, it doesn't sound like they're going to shoulder parents bring out a tremendous amount of debt here. But just how much are we bringing on and are we going to be okay with it? And just understanding that and making sure that everyone's, you know, call a spade a spade and everything's going to work out. Uh, and if it's not, to your point, if someone, if we're really underfunded or if we're over indebted already on our balance sheet and we have all these, you know, potential financial roadblocks in our way, well, then we might have to have some more serious conversations about like, is this the right place to, to be attending school or are there other ways to get us there? Yep, absolutely. Well, this is all good stuff. Anything else you would add? Yeah, I would just add the, you know, Ron Lieber, who's the uh, New York Times kind of money, personal finance money editor. He wrote a book called The Price You Pay for College. And I would recommend it for anyone who's planning on having their kids go, especially like if you're going to go to like a residential four-year college, like kind of have that traditional college experience. Really well-written book about kind of the whole process of preparing to go through college, all the financial aid, all of those things, um, just to help help you understand how to navigate this as optimally as possible. Yeah. Awesome. Love it. Well, Danielle, thank you very much for that question. That was very helpful. As Scott mentioned, if you're listening and you are saying, I've got a question and I would love to have my personal context around that privacy still in place, not going to disclose anything, but just to see what does it look like when you do have full context leave us a note, submit your question, realpersonalfinance.co. Say, hey guys, I want uh, I want the full experience. Scott will actually send you out a link to complete after that. And we would be happy to just see if that would be a cool way to provide more effective content to listeners. Yes, we keep coming back to wanting to make the, the, the US financially literate. And I think the more we can make this consistent for you all and help you see some core data points for yourselves and for each other and monitor that along the way, the better uh, we're going to be. So we're going to start playing with a little idea here and I hope it, uh, hope it works. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks Scott. And we'll see you you all next time. Until next time. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Real Personal Finance Podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe and let us know by leaving a five-star review. And if you have a question that you'd like for us to answer, then head over to the Real Personal Finance website at realpersonalfinance.co. And there's a section on the bottom of each page there where you can submit your question for us to answer in a future episode. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. This podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only and should not be relied upon for a basis for investment decision. This podcast is not engaged in rendering legal, financial, or other professional services.